Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to start a new series today. We just finished on evangelism, and we talked about before that series, uh, the fear of the Lord. So I always try to speak on the five areas that are full-time in ministry, pastor, prophet, evangelist, uh, apostle, pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher, uh, missionary. Yeah, those five. (laughs) Anyway, so we're going to jump into a new series, Relationship Renovation. Very practical, it's not, it is highly theological, it is everywhere in the Word of God, but it is a daily issue we deal with in our lives, relationships. This is not for if you're married, if you are, it is for you, but it's for everyone who has to deal with humans on this planet. Are we all in the same boat? Yes. We all are in the same boat dealing with people. This is one of the hardest things because it's a daily thing. See, my unchanging God, who is the Savior of the world, is so unchanging. Oh, the rock that is higher than I that doesn't move. His nature, His goodness, His eternal holiness, that's just really great for a relationship. But He's the only one like that. Is He the only one like that? So all the other relationships, they need constant work and renovation. They need constant heart checks from us, attitude checks from us. So we're going to jump in the Word of God here. I've got a few clips to help you, a few pictures to help you understand this word, renovation. It means to modernize, to restore, redecorate, refurbish, revamp, overhaul, reconstruction, rebuild, remodeling, update, and above all, I like improvement. Who wants improvement in their relationships? I do. I want improvement in my communication, in my communication with my family, with my children, with everyone, with everyone that I come in contact with. And that is the will of God uh, for our lives. Clearly, the Word talks about that. We really want to go from this to this. We want to go from the left side. We want to go from to the right side. Stainless steel is better. And, and some, you know, from, from this to that. That's what we want to go for. But really, the end goal, the end goal is this. Before. After. Before. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Listen to what Bill Gates said. It's up on your screen right there. This is a, a unique statement and really speaks of some wisdom. If I was down to the last dollar on my marketing budget, I'd spend it on... PR, on public relations. There's some wisdom there. If I was down, now, remember, that's a rich man. He said, if I'm down to the last dollar in marketing, if I have to spend my last, I'm going to spend it relationally. Some wisdom there that we can learn from. Open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 11. 1 Chronicles 11. Are your apps or whatever you like to use. Let me set this up. Israel was God's people. God did not want them to have a king. There's only one king, and that's Jesus. But they murmured, they cried. They wanted relationships and leadership like the world had it. That's always bad. So this fledgling nation gets their first king and says, okay, you're gonna, you want it? It's fine. He gives them King Saul, who is his pick, who is a man of God. 
but doesn't have the integrity, doesn't have the, uh, the ability to last, falls into sin and into multiple sins. God rejects him as king. Now, many of you know this story, which all getting together. God rejects him as king and raises up a man himself, King David. Now, Saul was rejected as king in year three, but he reigned over 30 years, even though he was rejected in year three. We come to our story at the end of Saul's life, and David has been running. He's been in partial leadership in certain areas of Israel, but not all of them. And we come to, in Judah, excuse me, and we come to Israel finally making him king, the last of three anointings. David, King David was anointed three times. We're getting ready to read the last. The reluctant Israelites, finally, after there's no more choices, are going to make David king. And we're going to learn some things from a fractured, broken society fractured, broken relationships that have been broken for many years and how God, the man of God, David, is going to bring unity and healing into a broken uh, nation and broken relationships, high mistrust, high offense. Everyone's defensive, you know, on pins and needles at this time. All right. That was a good, that was a serious intro. Ooh, goodness. First Chronicles. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then all Israel came together to King David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led us, who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Let's learn some things from the word of God about relationships. doesn't matter how young or how old you are. doesn't matter what station or season you're in in life. This is for us, right? All right, so let's look at this. Then all Israel came to David at Hebron. As I said, they were the holdouts. Not only were they the holdouts, they were the holdout of holdouts. So when King Saul dies and two of his sons, excuse me, three of his sons with him, that's the famous death he, that he's in First Chronicles, and it's also the parallel story is in 2 Samuel chapter 5, 4 and 5. There was one son left alive from the lineage of Saul. So Abner, one of the leaders, takes that son, forces him, doesn't force him, but like forces his, his way, forces him up to the throne. He wanted to be king, but forces his way up there. So when Saul died for two years, we're reading chapter 11, and it seems like it just flows together, 10 and 11, but there was a two-year gap that um, the, the last son, not Mephibosheth, I know he had some descendants still living, but the last one that could lead, he was actually leading Israel. And before David's um, assassin, Joab, <laughs> he, was a, he was a rough guy, <laughs> before David's assassin killed him. But Israel really didn't want to have anything to do with David. 
Some of them did, but not the leadership. That's a, that's a tough relation. That's some serious, re- not one rejection, not two. I mean, no. I mean, if you're the last one on the bench, then we'll take you if there's nine guys and we can't play a game. That's the only reason. That's the position Israel is a real holdout here through this. But they came to David, and I don't see any hint of rejection in David's communication or his life. I don't see any frustration or anger. All I see is compassion. Ooh, this is Sunday morning. We got our best on. We're smiling. We're loving people. But we all got to go to work tomorrow. We all got to go. And there's going to be people that just bug us to no end, right? I hope they don't live in your house. (laughs) This is Israel's relationship with David. But all I see with David is open arms. This is like Jesus stuff here. Number one on your notes. Compassion is the key to rebuilding broken relationships. If you want to influence, if you want to build broken ones. Now, we're not asking. This is not easy things. If you want to serve the Lord, that's not the easy life. It's the wonderful life. But serving King Jesus is not the easy life, especially as our culture kind of turns and has less to do with God. But I'm serving King Jesus. He saved me eternally. I'm not looking for the easy life. I'm looking for the life that brings glory to my king. You with me? All right, then we're, in the, we're, we're all going together, aren't we? This is the same person, this is the same vein, because David was a type of Christ, that we see in our, the perfection of this in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. It is compassion and a decision to live the compassionate life that's going to rebuild relationships. It's not going to be rebuilt any other way. This compassionate decision to people that are in a mess, they were weary and scattered. That's not a good state. And the beautiful example I love from probably one of the most famous, famous verses in the Bible, Luke 15, the lost son or the prodigal son. Verse 20 says, you know the story, the son rejected the dad, wanted to go live his own way, took all, he only could even live because of everything he took from the father. I'm only breathing because it's his air, not mine. I didn't make this. Verse 20, when he came to his senses, he's coming home. And verse 20 of Luke 15 says, And he arose, the father, came to his, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, when he was still like Israel, when he was way out there still, his father saw him and had what? Compassion. Compassion is always followed by action. You will never see someone who has a broken compassion for relations, for the hurting and lost, and not see them acting. Compassion is always followed by, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, you have to remember, this is an Eastern audience Jesus is speaking this to, not us in our Western world. 
fathers and men of stature and older men did not run. They didn't run in that culture. They were honored. They were respected. They walked. Young men ran. In fact, if something had to be done, they would call a servant to do it. You didn't run. When those words came out of Jesus' mouth and he ran, the, the audience listening to Jesus in their Eastern mindset would have been, whoa, whoa, what just happened? It would have totally thrown them off, off guard. He ran and he falls on his neck. That's totally contrary to the honor system there. But so my Savior emptied himself and came as a man. He emptied himself of his glory and his honor. Let's go back to our story here. Then all Israel came to David at Hebron. I kind of pulled the family card. Listen, you're like my third cousin twice removed. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> Verse 2. Also, in time past, even when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you were the one who brought Israel out and led them in. You weren't king. You didn't have a title. You weren't the one in charge, but you were the one who spent time with us. You're the one who was in the trenches with us. You were the one who was out there early mornings and late evenings. It was you. Saul may have been more talented. In fact, we know he was bigger and stronger. We know that the Benjamites could fling. They were the specialists with the, um, what do you, a slingshot, thank you, with the slingshot. Not David, they were. But David was the one that was there. I like this because a title or influence is not the issue. Great ability to heal relationships, great communication skills, or books or things, those help, I'm, I'm for those, but that's not the issue. How did David influence these people? He just said, I'm going to spend my life serving you, right? I'm going to spend my life spending time with you. Number two on your notes, time, not titles, influences people. Isn't this true? The old adage, people don't care how much you know to them how much you care. It's time. And most people, people, especially when they're young, spell love, T-I-M-E, right? T-I-M-E. That's the way my kids spell it, I know. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Just spend time and throw it all over the place. And it's a picture of the Nile River. It would, you know, the delta, we understand deltas here in Louisiana. 
you know, there's so much desert around the air. We think of Israel and, and Egypt as desert, but remember the largest river in the world, when it comes out, it has a huge fan delta, and in the rainy seasons, it would flood for hundreds and hundreds of miles and make marshlands everywhere. So what they would do is they say, I don't have to till up all this ground and walk all the way. I'll get in a boat, get my little piro, get my 50 pounds of seed, and I'll just start paddling. It ain't easy to move in water. This is in the marsh, and they would throw seed all over the marshland. It was already rich in soil and wet, and then that marsh would, it would go down, and all that seed would settle in there, and here comes a crop bigger and better than they could ever do, spending lots of time and lots of watering. It was already right there. This is the picture of this scripture. Just go and throw your time out all over this. Throw it out all over that delta. And watch what God will do with it. They're saying, look, you're the one who led us. Led us in and led us out. Time, not titles. That's what influences people. I want to show you a picture and then we're going to read a scripture here. Show you a map just so you know where we are. You see Galilee up there? That's where Jesus spent the vast majority of his ministry. You can actually look, the story we're reading is down in Judea at Hebron, right there. But Jesus, this is a, Hebron, this is the unique thing. It actually really never moved throughout all of time. Through all the, you know, we're reading way back at King David. Fast forward a thousand years, it's still in the same place. But Jesus spent most of his time up in Galilee. Why? Because he said he would 800 years before. Go to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Related to this whole time thing. Matthew 4, 13. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, this is the start of Jesus' ministry, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea. It was that the Sea of Galilee right there in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali that he might that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Gentile Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. Okay, what does this have to do with time and, and all this? What does this scripture have to do with it? Put that picture up there one more time. Throughout all of Israel's history, including David's, the least conquered and the most attacked area was always up in the north side. That's where all the invading armies came, even by sea. That's where they struggled the most during Joshua's reign. Remember, the children of Israel came from Egypt and they struggled to go more north. Those were the people who were most pounded on. The people in the north were the most mixed. It was only about half Jewish anyways in Jesus' time. This was the area that was really broken. This was the, the relationships that were just the... Can you imagine invading armies, constant upheaval? Can you imagine what that does to the family? Men always having to go out to war. Dad's gone. Mom's a single mom. It was a mess on the own relationships. And Jesus said, I'm going to spend most of my time with you. That's what he says here. 
Naphtali, Zebulon, I'm coming to you first. Jesus spends the vast majority of his ministry up in Galilee around that whole area because he knew where he needed to spend time. Amen? Time. Time. Not talent, uh, titles or talents influence people. That's the way you build or rebuild or renovate relationships. Let's go back to our story here. Verse 2. So in time past, you were the one who led us out and brought us in. And it says, And the Lord your God said to you, Your vision and your purpose in life, King David, is a big deal. And the Lord your God gave you direction and purpose and what you're supposed to do and how to live your life. Vision and purpose will drive your whole life beyond ability, beyond resources. When you've got a word from the Lord, when you've got direction in your life, and please understand, I was not always a person who had division and direction. And those, those are, oh, I was just like, okay, I'm going to serve you, Lord. And, you know, can I eat fried, fried food and fish and stuff? Yes, I get to do those things, but vision and purpose in your life. This is the way, Stephen. This is what I've made you for. Walk in it. That'll drive you. And he says, King David, I've given you vision, and this is it. You shall shepherd my people. Your Bible may say feed. In the King James, it says feed my people. You shall shepherd my people and be ruler over my people Israel. I've got two big things for you. The one-two punch, King David. The one-two punch in how to bring this broken country back together. You are going to serve them like you have never imagined. Serve, serve, serve. Is that what a shepherd does? Yes. Mamas, you understand shepherding. Yes, and they even bite, don't they? <laughs> serve, 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 and then you're going to lead. But you, gotta, you know he put serve first by divine order. You, God, service is not the end goal, but you can never lead without serving, right? Not in the kingdom, because it's a race to the bottom. Number three on your notes, shepherds serve, then they lead. Yes, the word pastor comes from the word shepherd, but all of us in our lives have people we're shepherding, don't we? Every younger sibling, grandkid, people were over in management, kind of you're leading, you're guiding them, yes? Everyone, and the, the divine order here is King David, you shepherd them and you lead them. And the way you lead them is by serving them. It's a beautiful picture of simplicity of the kingdom of God and a picture of Christ so beautifully. Look at the way Jesus did this after his resurrection in John 21. Jesus is resurrected. He's shown himself. This is going to be the third time he's shown himself to people. John 21.9 starts out. John 21, 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw, oh, I like this. 
coals. They saw a fire of coals there. It's been burning a while, right? You don't have coals instantly. You know, when you cook, come on, who's, who grills in here? You don't just, and if you use real coals, you don't just light that thing and throw the meat on. You're going to ruin it all, right? You got to get those coals nice and gray. And then I see some guys smiling now. You got to get them, and, and they're, they're glowing, they're burning in there. This has been prepped for a while. If you cook on an open campfire, like I learned when I was a kid, you don't cook on flames, you cook on coals. So we got this picture here of someone who's really prepped, who's someone who's really served. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. It's getting better already. Thank you, Lord. And bread. It's more than a one-course meal. Now look at your text or look at the screen. Look at your text. In this story, is there anyone there except Jesus before the disciples come off the boat? There's no one else. There's no one else. I am dumbfounded that the risen Christ, the risen King, would yet again, after the cross, in a male-dominated culture and society, stoop so low to make a fire, prepare food for a bunch of hungry fishermen. I am dumb. It's, it's beyond me except to praise his holy name at his level of service. Come on. Look at that. He has prepared everything for them. They don't even know who he is yet. First, he serves. In fact, he says, come and eat breakfast. See, men's breakfasts are biblical. I just thought of that. That's right. John 20. I need to put that on the, we're going to put John 21 on the men's breakfast. Jesus said to them, come and eat. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now I'm going to teach you how to lead. And he goes right back to, will you feed my people? Will you serve my people? You can lead my people. Will you feed them? Will you serve them? Then you can lead them. If you love them and you serve them, then you can lead him. You see that? See the way he does that? It's so beautiful. Shepherds serve, then lead. Now, that's the story of Peter. Let's see what Peter says down the road. How does this encounter with Christ affect Peter years later? That's always good to look at, right? How does the encounter with Christ you have had your relationship with Jesus affects you years down the road. I like to see that. Now, that, that's a study. That's a test that's real, right? A, a two-week study with three people. Okay. A 10-year study with 100 people, you actually may, may, may listen to that study, right? Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five, two through five. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. Jesus did not have to prep that fire, let it burn all the way down, get it to the right coals, so the fish wouldn't just be cooked. It'd be good, right? It'd be good. Not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. 
nor as being lords over them, over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, don't you think that that picture by the seashore came back into Peter's mind? Don't you think that whole experience came flooding back to him years ago? And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, that's his personal life, right? Now, what does he say to every Christian throughout all history now in the next verse? Right here in Acadiana, us, you. Likewise, you younger people, likewise, everyone else, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility for God. Resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, that's, a, ah, that's beautiful. God will use us to restore relationships with this model, won't he? Was there anything more broken and messed up than him and Peter's relationship? I'm going to say that was dysfunctional on Peter's part the whole time they were together, until after the cross, and maybe even after that, the denial until Jesus restored him. You talk about a three and a half year. It was good, but they had some rough spots. You, if you know anything about the Bible, you know Jesus and Peter have some rough ones. He was constantly having to renovate Peter and bring him back and reel him in and help him and direct him. And look at that beautiful picture of relationship God's way. Oh, come on, we can do that? Amen, amen. Let's keep going here. Back to 1 Chronicles. Verse 3. What's the first thing the man after God's heart does? Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to, king, came to the king at Hebron in the south, in Judah. And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. The next verse says they anointed him. David, again, <laughs> takes the first step in fixing the relationship and saying, I'm committed to you. You unfaithful Israelites, I'm going to be committed and faithful to you. Now, that's a tough one. It's a right one, but that's a tough one. That's, a, that's Jesus stuff right there. Number four on your, on your notes. A covenant lifestyle produces the greatest relationships. David had a covenant lifestyle. He didn't have a covenant experience. He didn't have a covenant day. He didn't make a covenant, covenant. He had a covenant lifestyle. In fact, in the Bible, the word David and covenant is used nine different times talking about him, including him and God. There's no one else in the Old Testament that I could find that had more words David, covenant and their name connected to an individual, not God talking about the nation. David had a covenant lifestyle. And he said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm going to keep doing it. That is the key to relationships, too, to renovating and rebuilding. Covenant is the strongest form of legal document at the time. Obviously, what is it? The Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Jesus said, I'm making a new covenant with you in my blood. It's one of the last conversations he had with the disciples. A covenant lifestyle. All Christians are covenant people, Right? You've got a covenant with God eternally. We're covenant people, therefore we live this 
covenant lifestyle. And they come in reluctantly, and before they can even anoint him, they may, they've, they've, they've turned before and, and put their tail between legs and took off before. They, wouldn't, they, they have not been supportive of him. In fact, he had to live with the Philistines for a while, remember? Before that, before they anointed him king, he said, I'm making a covenant with you before the living God that I serve. That's powerful. That's the way you rebuild relationships. All right, let's round home here. Let's go back to 1 Chronicles. Verse 3. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. Well, finally, they've gotten there. And I'm so glad David really had patience. He put people in God's hands. He let God be God. He just loved people. He said, I know the word of the Lord on my life, but I'm going to let God be God. And when they're ready, it's finally going to happen. Years later, finally, they anointed him. Finally, they brought him to a place of honor. And this is really, for the, really for the first time, we see Israel come together so beautifully. We see Israel come together in unity. Number five, on your, lastly on your notes. Honor brings access into closed areas. There was friction in this country and relationally. Honor brings access. If you have a daughter that's dating age, you know that there is no boy getting 10 feet to that front door without one word. Honor, right? Don't, have, don't let them have friendship, friends that don't know how to honor. Honor is the key to all access. The only reason I'm going to heaven is I honor that cross and the work of it through faith more than anything else on this planet. Amen? Honor is the key. Young people, listen to me now. You want to live a blessed life. You want to live a happy, successful life. Learn how to honor. It will unlock so many doors for you. All right. Worship team, come up. And we got to go to 2 Samuel to understand the complete story. God was so faithful to Israel and everything that was going on with them. But Israel did not have the reigning king for 40 years like someone else did. So like I said, there were three anointings of King David. Three. The first one is famous by Samuel, the prophet. Goes to Jesse's house. We're throwing a big party. Bring all your sons. Nope, 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 nope. You got any more? Well, I got a dirty one, but he doesn't know how to take a bath yet. He's still a teenager. <laughs> Come get him. Psalm 23 is David's story of his anointing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is the story. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies and his brothers. That's the first anointing. Young. Years and years pass before the second 
And we just studied the third. So the man of God, by divine order, anoints him first. But who were the first group of people to do it? It really wasn't. It was public, but it wasn't public. Samuel put his neck on the line because he, he was God's man. He did whatever God told him to do. But who was the first group of people to stand up and say, that's the king. That is God's man. Second Samuel 5, 1 through 4. And it happened after that, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Saul has just died. There's a power vacuum. Say, God, I will not anoint myself. You tell me what to do. I know what your word said, but I'm still submitted to you. And the Lord said, Go up, David. Where shall I go up? So what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? He said, You go to Hebron. Put that picture of Israel up one more time. It's right down there, way in the south. Just Judah. Or Judea. Verse 2. So David went up with his two wives, Ahamanim and the, Je- the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him and every man with his household so they dwelt in the city, in the cities of Hebron. Where was the first place that a group of people proclaimed the king as king? Then the men of Judah. Now I must tell you, and you may already know, as we stand to our feet. What does Judah mean? Judah has a one word meaning. Real simple. It means praise. Is that right? Come on, older people in the Lord who knew what it is. Does Judah mean praise? When you go to Matthew chapter 1 and it gives a genealogy of Jesus, there's one tribe in there. Who is in the line of Christ? Judah. Then the men of Judah came, and there they were the first. They were the first to proclaim. They were the first to open their mouth and said, King! I like that. Then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. You'll never get to all of Israel and influencing all the people you want until you open your mouth and praise the king where you are. I know you want more influence, and so do I. I know you want all all the relationships to be fixed, and you want people in your, your family to be saved. So do I. Yes, I understand you plead and cry out to God. I know you want to see God move. I know you want to see the kingdom in your life come together. Amen? And your relationships brought together. But there's an avenue to do it, and it's God's way only. Open your mouth and praise him and proclaim him as king before those reluctant, stubborn, ungodly, put your acronym on it, whatever it is, 
your adjective, excuse me. You've got to start praising. You've got to start worshiping. And then you're going to see God do it. Don't be Israel. I don't want to be Israel. I don't ever want to be late for worship. <laughs> I try not to ever miss it. I get a little ADD. Sometimes I get distracted, right? Get distracted. Okay, whoa, whoa. That's why the countdown's for me. If y'all didn't know that, it's just for me. <laughs> I watched men of God always on the front row when worship started. And if you're late, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's not the point. You understand the point. They said, I will not wait seven and a half years. The Bible says, if you read, keep reading, that David reigned in Judah for 40 years and in Israel for 33 and a half. Seven and a half years, Israel kept their mouths shut about praise. His name is Jesus. He's the King eternal, immortal. He is due all glory and all honor and all praise. Amen? Come on, now let's praise him. We got a few minutes left. You better praise him. You praise him in those relationships. Come on, let's praise him. Come on, you better praise him. You want to see lives changed? You want to see the power of God? Come on, praise him. This society's broken. Families are broken. We can't do it without you. Not we can't move a muscle without you. Oh, King of heaven. Lord, we decide we're going to be Judah. We anoint you as King, Jesus, over every area of our life and influence. Lord, we bring as many people to Hebron and we say, you're King first. Now, Lord, we're asking you to cause us to affect 
every area. Our borders go all the way to Israel and pull those people, even reluctantly. Lord, move on them, Spirit of God. Move on them. And I thank you that you're doing renovations. You're doing rebuildings, reconstruction. You're you're building things that were broken down to the foundation. You're going to build it up again, God. We're asking for miraculous miracles. Nothing short of salvation in our family members that are lost, God. Pray with me now. Nothing short of God encounters for our young people and our kids and our teenagers. Lord, nothing short of intimate times with our spouses in prayer, God. Nothing short of you in the middle of our relationships. You in the middle of our conversations, Lord. Oh, we're asking for that. We're asking for that. We thank you, God. We're receiving it in the mighty name of Jesus. And we make a commitment today. Christians, I'm asking you to make a commitment like David did. You're going to make a covenant. And you're going to decide that you're going to be Judah also. Say, I'll be the first. I will be the one who anoints the king before everyone else does and prays him. And in that praise, the power of God will live in my life. The king lived there all his life. In fact, it's called the city of David. The king never left. Praise. As the king doesn't leave, praise. In fact, he inhabits the praises of his people. Come on. Come on. Come on, King Jesus. We got two minutes left. Let's sing that one more time. Let's sing that one more time.
and joy in his house. God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, someone will be up here. God bless.